They didn't ask us this time because we learned our lesson last time. When they, I said no ahead of time. I know you're not getting me up here quizzing against these kids. I got talked into that several years ago, and it was very humbling. And I'm, I'm, I'm still humbled by that. I don't have to be humbled again as I get blown away by these little kids, you know. But our whole staff got blown away, so, you know. Derek Watley was just as humbled as I was, so I do remember it. Well, good morning, everyone. Boy, this is, uh, Nana Dar is not preaching here today. He's going to be here next Sunday. So I think sometimes there was a little miscommunication there. Um, and thank you for responding to Brother J. Raj. I hadn't told Brenda this, but he's already invited us to come visit him in Delhi. Uh, and he mentioned you by name of going to India there, Brenda Joyce. Yeah, don't you feel led? No, you don't feel led. <laughs> But uh, what, what great ministries, and this just kind of happened that two really significant leaders in the uh, ministries in India are going to be with us just two weeks apart. That was a surprise. We don't really plan our calendar that way, but, um, you know, it's going to be a delight to see. And I know Brother Davis was glad to see Brother J. Raj uh, last Sunday, and uh, it's just really a neat thing to see what God is doing. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to share some things with you from uh, this chapter of faith. Uh, it's kind of interesting because I got a note, a, a text right at the last minute this morning that the, the teacher in the sanctuary class, Alvin, said he couldn't make it. And he says, can you fill in for me? And he gave me about 30 minutes of um, prep time. And I looked down, and he says, in the lessons on Hebrews 11 and 12, I said, well, that's not going to happen because I'm preaching on Hebrews 11. Um, and I'm preaching on these two words, I believe. And it's kind of interesting when you say those words, those two words separate you, when you say those words, separate you from something to something. When you say, I believe, and you follow that in a declaration, you come to the conclusion that's going to be opposite someone else, right? This is why I love Robbie Zacharias and apologetics. I think probably the, the two things I love most in studying is apologetics. And, um, you know, more than a carpenter, the, one of the first books, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and then McDowell came out with an updated version of that. And all of this is always changing, and it's changing because of two things that's going on. One is the study of, of the text, the original text, and the other is archaeology. And if there's something you could, like, put your antenna up to say, I want to intercept the latest on archaeology and the latest on biblical criticism, textual criticism, and or is this book trustworthy? When we say... I believe in the Word of God. You can go to our website, and there's 16 statements about our faith, what we believe in, and the very first one talks about the Scriptures are the inspired Word of God. Uh, if you go to the ag.org website and go to our 16 fundamental truths, it's an expanded version of that. 
But it simply means when we say, I believe in this book to be the inspired word of God without error in the autographs, do you realize just by simply saying that you separate yourself from a lot of people? If you listen to B Billy Graham very much, and I had a chance to listen to him live on television many times, but if you can go back and replay all through his sermons, his messages, he would say this, the Bible says, and I wish I could say it like he said it. The Bible says, and someone comes along, I remember someone telling us, like, you know, people don't want to hear that anymore because they don't believe in the Bible. I thought, well, should we stop saying that because somebody doesn't believe in the Bible? When we say, I believe that this book is the inspired word of God, it tells a lot of people what we don't believe in. All of the ideas associated with the Bible is not really trustworthy or some of these things. It just has to be myths. It has to be uh, narratives passed down and they were, you know, embellished and everything. And, and then we are losing what we really believe the Bible to be and that is the exact thing that God wanted us to have. Um, Hebrews 11 verses 1 and 2 is where we're going to start from this morning. And um, I, I came across something this week that really fascinated me. It's like this renowned Yale University professor, computer scientist, David Galinter. Anybody see that pop up on social media? Has left Darwinism. And boy, that just kind of like is like a red light flashing. So I go and look at it and uh, read the article. I think Rachel uh, Anderson, I think it is, on the stream wrote this article. You can go to the Hoover Institute, which is, uh, I don't really go to that site very much, but I did on this occasion, to see an interview that had Stephen Meyer, uh, David uh, Galanter, and also David, um, I, I can't think of it the other guy's name, but I recognized him. I looked at him. I said, you know, he looks familiar. I think he was on Ben Stein's Expelled. Anybody here see that movie, Ben Stein's Expelled? Anybody? Just like going once, going twice. You, you, you saw it? Kelly and I watched it on the big screen when it, when it was released, 2008. And I saw this guy on this interview with the Hoover Institute, and I said, he looks familiar. I go back and I pull up Expelled. And it's all about uh, intelligent design, ID, how all of these people who even mentioned it in an article, one guy wrote for the Smithsonian Journal, he lost his job simply by referring to something someone said about intelligent design. Professor at Baylor gets kicked out of, off the faculty because he just mentions intelligent design. And here is this famed uh, professor from Yale University saying that Darwinism cannot be right. That there's too many problems with what we understand now with protein development and all of the brain thrust that's around that. And there's stuff I don't understand when they're talking. But they're, they've come into the conclusion that Darwin could not be right about his conclusions. We could have told that a long time ago. And it's interesting when we talk about this chapter, Hebrews 11, in terms of faith, how it starts out is amazing. 
the very first start of this chapter, if you're there in Hebrews 1 and 2, watch this with me. Now, faith, this is not going to sound like King James, and all, all of us that memorize King James, it's not going to sound exactly like it, but, you know, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But listen to where it leads to. Are you there in Hebrews 11? Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, certain of what is not visible. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, by faith, this is what I believe, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. When I first came here, there was a young lady, some of you might remember that goes back 25 years, that was a professor at the uh, university, and um, she was a geologist. And so she gave me a textbook, and it had dog-eared on the page about the Big Bang. And she was telling me that though she didn't believe that, she just had struggles with some of the other things about the, the shortness of what some people the age of the earth is, and I'm just listening to her. But she highlighted the spot about the Big Bang, and, and it, I, I was just amazed that it says it was probably a microscopic catalyst that caused the explosion. Now, am I the only one that finds that all the planets out there came from a microscopic explosion and no one knows where the microscopic catalyst came from and yet here we say I believe in the creation as described in Genesis I believe that and here it is hundreds of years later from Moses recording this that the author of Hebrews is saying we believe this by faith we believe that God just said God just commanded. And when we say, I believe in the creation, we're kind of put in the category of being, I don't know, like Richard Dawkins, he just thinks we're crazy. And I think he's crazy, so we think each other's crazy. But when he says that evolution is a proven fact, I just keep waiting for somebody to bust out laughing. I'm like, what, what, what is the proof of Darwinism? And yet here's what she writes about David Galanter in that article. And I just want to read it for you. He says, he's famous for predicting the emergence of the World Wide Web. He's also called by some people as a rock star in this academia looking at Darwinism. And now he's forsaken it. He said he was changed by three books. One is Darwin's Doubt by Stephen Meyer of the Discovery Institute. A second is The Deniable Darwin and Other Essays by mathematician David Berlinski. That's who I was trying to remember his name. And a third is Debating Darwin's Doubt and an Anthrology edited by David Klinghoffer. When we say, I believe... Now, he, he's not going to intelligence design. He's not going there, but he says it's kind of like a reasonable argument. I'm surprised the guy's still got a job. Because things are changing, it's hard to prove Darwin. And when we say, I believe in the biblical account of creation, it separates me from what Darwin wrote in Origin of the Species. By the way, I don't even think the library in Tuscaloosa has a copy of Origin of the Species. 
because I tried to find a copy and I had to find really a audio of it. And it was just amazing that he studied pigeons and bird beaks. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, I want to take you to the next part of this statement of faith. Look in verse 3 or verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he said, this is what Abel believed. When you see by faith, it's actually a noun for the verb believe. I, I think Abel could say, I believe God wants me to bring this kind of sacrifice to the Lord. And that separated from, from his brother who must have said, I believe that God wants vegetables. God wants plants. He wants fruit. He wants things that I've grown in a garden. And here Abel brought, he says, by faith Abel brought a better sacrifice. And he speaks well of that sacrifice even because now his blood is speaking. In other words, when he declared... I'm going to bring God the sacrifice that he wants because I believe this is what he wants. And he may have, we don't know the background to this about the, the rivalry between him and Cain, but there's probably a lot, lot to it that, that went on there. Maybe he was saying, I believe God wants this, even though he knew his brother really probably had a problem with that. And it says he still speaks about what he believed. His faith is still speaking from the ground because he was willing to put his life on the line in this, this conflict that he must have had with his own brother. Follow it on down because the next person that's mentioned is Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. One of only two people that the Bible determines and has, has presented that did not die a natural death. He and Elijah were just taken up. He could not be found because God had taken him away. What made him so different? This is pre-flood, but before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And what did that mean, as one who pleased God? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. He was a man of faith. He, he was walking in, I believe. He, his statement of, I believe, was so strong that God just took him because he walked in such close fellowship with God. I think that'd be pretty cool to experience. You don't have to worry about all of that. And without doubt, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe, I believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently, as King James says, diligently seek him. And the very next person in this discussion of faith is the flood hero, you might say, Noah. And I know people don't believe in the flood. I mean, academic people don't believe in the flood, but Jesus must have believed in it because he talked about it. And here it is in Hebrews. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family by his faith, by his own declaration, I believe this word that God has given me. He condemned the world and because heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah had to believe. He said, I believe that this 450 foot long ship that I'm building is going to be here on a dry dock and it's going to be lifted by a flood. And everybody thought he was crazy. 
His I believe separated him from everybody else. He was the lone person that believed this. We're not even sure if his family believed it, but they ended up being saved because of his faith. And the next person that comes up is Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. You know, one of the questions that the JBQ uh, just answered was this very thing that God spoke to Abraham. Abraham got up, left, and went to a place he didn't know where he was going, but God was telling him, I will show you. He obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made it. And, and by the way, you can read on through. It's going to end up around verse 19 is when Abraham, he dominates chapter 11. That's interesting. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builders got. It's kind of interesting that Abraham never lived in a city. He was a nomadic. He, he, he just moved from one place to another. The only ground that we know that he actually owned was ground that he bought so that he could bury his wife. We don't know of anything he ever owned, yet he was in this area that God was saying, I'm going to give to you but he says, really, I'm going to give the, your descendants this. You, you're not going to, this is not going to be your property, personally. But the people who come after you, this will be the property I give them. So he was going, he was looking, said he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I think as you read on that he was looking for a celestial city. He was looking past this environment that he was in because he was an old man. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. In verse 11, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Considered who? Abraham says, I believe God's promise is true. He's going to give me a son. And he believed that promise. And so from this one man, verse 12, he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I know the people in Sunday school is getting a double dose of this. But he, he told Abraham one, one night, look up at the stars. You and your wife are old. God knows they're old. He knows really how old they are. And he says, look up there. Can you count them? You can't count them. You won't be able to count your descendants. Now, that's a pretty strong promise, isn't it? But faith, Abraham said, I believe that. I believe that. And he believed that promise. And so from this one man, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies, as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith. And I want you to watch this. It's kind of interesting because they're walking this out by faith. By the I believe, I believe. And they're not seeing it happen. How hard is that? I believe. I believe. I'm not seeing it happen. I believe. How many of us are going to hang in there? I'm not seeing it happen. But I believe. What God has given me, the vision he's given me, the purpose he's given me, the mission he's given me, what I know that he wants to do, I'm not seeing it, but I believe. And this is what he said defined them. 
they stayed with the I believe. All these people were still living when they died. They were living by faith. They did not receive the things promised. Are you seeing that in verse 3? They had not received anything they had been promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They did not have a location that was theirs. And yet God promised them that. In verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, because it wasn't working out, they had every opportunity to go back to where they came from, where they knew that there was a home waiting for them. But they were still locked into this promise. Instead, they were longing for a better country. Watch this. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. In other words, they were looking past their own lifespan. They were looking to a beyond life. Therefore, God is not ashamed. God saw that kind of faith, and he called. He was not ashamed to be called their God. He was glad that this group in the middle was Abraham and Sarah. He was glad that they trusted him when they didn't see it happening. That it was, he was not ashamed to be called their God, for he had prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice Boy, this was the great test of Abraham. He finally gets a son of promise, a son in his old age. And he's about to sacrifice his son as God had told him. His only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Here's these two different statements that God had given to him. Isaac is going to be your son. This is how these descendants are going to come and can't even be numbered. I want you to take Isaac up into the mountain and sacrifice him. Those two things don't go together, do they? And yet God is pressing him. And so why would Abraham follow through? It tells us why. That he believed that God was able to raise his son up from the dead. He reasoned, this is verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. He had the knife pulled back to sacrifice him, but with a full assurance that the son of promise would be raised up. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in, in regard to their future. By faith, and it's kind of like rushing through. I like this, that he just doesn't spend a whole lot of time with these guys. He's like moving right along. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. Do you remember that? And he worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when the end was near, he told, his, he told his family, he says, I want you to mummify me and put a tag on that mummy that, that encases me, that mummified body, and put a tag on there to be carried out when y'all leave. That's how confident he was that he didn't see the promised land, but he knew that his descendants would. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. I think he would say a faith statement like, I believe that God wants me to side with the slaves that are out there instead of siding with the opulence and the 
the ease of life of being in the palace with Pharaoh's own daughter. He had that choice. He said, I believe that God wants me to identify with them. And he identified with them. He says, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater sacrifice, a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. If you're reading along, stay here with me. By faith, Moses kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the Red Sea opened on dry ground, and the Egyptians tried to do so, but they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And you know what's interesting when I get to verse 30? What's interesting, Joshua is not mentioned. But the walls of Jericho are mentioned. That they responded to faith. All these people that marched around them, because Joshua didn't tear them down. It was faith that tore them down. Isn't that what it says? By faith... The walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. And look who's included in the list. In verse 31, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. What more shall I say? I do not have time. And I love the way verse 32 just kind of transitions. Here's Rahab. She's in the list of all these people who had faith, and what was her faith? What was her belief statement? I think her belief statement goes something like this. You know what? I believe all those stories that I've heard in town that that group out there came across the Red Sea on dry ground, and I'm siding with them. And that's what she told the spies when she had an opportunity to hide them. She says, we're, we're all scared to death. We've, we've heard everything that God has... We, we've heard all of the miracles that's happened in, in your, among your people. And I'm going to hide you. And she was spared. And not only was she spared, she was part of the lineage of Jesus. How about that? And I like it. Look at this, verse 32. <laughs> Can you believe that in this list of faith that David has just mentioned like, Barak, Jephthah. Read this. What more can I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. I mean, I, I'm reading this through. I was like, wait a minute, you got to stop at David and say a little bit more about David than that, right? What is, what is the writer doing? He's saying faith identifies people as a group, not just as individuals. And the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released, refused to be released by denouncing their faith so that they might gain a better Resurrection. Some faced jeers, flogging. Others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn, a son, sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. 
The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their I believe. I believe. Yet none of them received what they had been promised. They believed regardless. It's kind of like those guys in front of that fiery furnace. He said, you know, we're not going to bow down. Our God is able to, to save us. But we're not bound down. We're, we, don't, we don't care. That's what it is that we don't care. I believe that if we die there, we die in for an eternal home. And this is what makes us, when we say, I believe, those two statements separates us. Now I want to tell you, and, and the praise team can come up, I want to tell you something. When you read this book, and you say, I believe this book, and I believe what it, the epistles, I believe Ephesians, I believe Philippians, I believe Colossians, I believe the Tim, two letters to Timothy, I believe what Acts records. You automatically are separating yourself from a lot of people in the world. When we sung earlier, I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, do you realize that that statement separates you and me from all the atheists, all the agnostics, all the universalists, all the Unitarians, all the religions in the world, and some even in Christian dogma that do not believe in the Trinity. Making that statement, I believe. Can I tell you, I hope. There was a time growing up in a Pentecostal environment which my mom, my mom was such a, a neat person. She believed in living for God. She, she had a high standard. But for some reason, she just didn't think swimming was a sin. Because she, she was aquatic. She was a lifeguard at youth camp when I was growing up, the girls' lifeguard. Um, when she heard I almost drowned out in the lake, up at Oak Mountain, she was embarrassed. I was nine. And she asked, did, did you have to be fished out of the water? I said, yes, ma'am. You will not have that happen again. It embarrassed her. Girl's lifeguard's son almost drowned. And so I was not allowed to do anything until I could prove to her I could swim up and down a swimming pool. But she didn't believe swimming was wrong she didn't believe football was wrong and yet she was she was accosted you might say verbally by people like you let your daughter be a head cheerleader <laughs> you let your sons play football here's here's the sad part about this it was sad that we were no more about what we didn't believe in than what we believe can i tell you don't let that be your definition. When you say, I believe, declare what you believe. You do not have to tell people what you don't believe. Many times that declaration of faith, I believe, and what follows it separates you. I don't need, I don't need Percy Sledge singing when a man loves a woman. For me to love my wife. 
and to know this is the purpose of God is for her to be my highest priority and I'm supposed to love her as Christ loves the church I don't have to make any statements on gender or, or the, the redefinition of marriage all I need to do is declare what I believe and that alone separates me from other ideas we've got to be no more by what we believe than what we don't believe. And that will define us much better. Make a statement of faith. I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, we did that creed and it's put to music, but that is who we are. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that there's a world beyond this world. There's a heavenly city that is being prepared for us. And Jesus even said it to his disciples. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you to that city that I'm preparing for you. We don't have to say anything else about what we don't believe. All we have to declare is what we believe. Would we stand together? And I want us to sing that creedal song again. And this is what I told a, a man in my office just a week ago that I never met. He came in. He's going through an incredible crisis. And he told me his church background. I didn't say one way or another but I said this to him it's one thing for you to say you believe but it's another thing to surrender yourself to that and I said surrender is the key word not the words that you say but believe what you say enough to give yourself to that Lord I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and I believe you were raised from the dead so that I could have eternal life and so that I could have a life that's not average, that's not irrelevant, that I could be in the midst of this wonder and this awe of who you are. I'm praying this morning for all of us in this room to, to take our statement of faith to another place Lord, I surrender to your mission. I surrender to your purpose. You created me for a reason. I'm on this earth because you have destined me and a plan for me. And that is you, sir, trying to figure out what does God want you to do? What is, what is this plan for you? These people had a, had a promise, but they never saw it come to pass, but they still believed in it. And can you this morning reach through your doubts, reach through confusion, whatever, and say, Lord, I surrender myself. I don't even know exactly what your purpose is for me. But I believe you have a purpose for me. And I surrender that purpose. I surrender to you my life. You may be a student here. You might have an idea of what your future is supposed to be. Maybe God has an amendment to that. Maybe God has something else he's saying to you. And maybe he's waiting for you to say, Lord, it doesn't matter what it is. I want what you want. I believe you have my best interest in mind. I believe that you created me for an exact reason. 
And I want to know that. And before I know it, I give myself to it. I yield myself into your hands. I want you to reveal what it is to me. What you want for me. What you want of me, Lord. And if God is calling you to surrender yourself to a ministry of some sort, this is how he's reaching our world today. He's calling people, summoning them. Whether it's leading a waitress in a waffle house to the Lord or, or just on the campus somewhere or a co-laborer. Lord, would, would you just help us this morning that we want to be in that chapter. We want to be among those. They were, their names weren't given, but they were mentioned as surrendering to your purpose. We want to be listed there of surrendering to your purpose. And if the Lord is specifically speaking to you this morning about something to surrender yourself to, I want you to step out as we're singing this, this creed song, what we believe, and say, Lord, here's my life. I, I'm not really sure what you want entirely of me, but I just want you to have all access to me. And if that's you, just come and stand and lift your hands, surrender to Him.